Welcome to Health Rants. Join us and learn how not to let healthcare rip you off or kill you. Together, we will explore the secrets of healthcare and give you insight on how to make a better and informed decision about your health and your healthcare. I'm Dr. Bob Braille. I'm a chiropractor for over 40 years, and I've seen it and heard it all. So welcome to our podcast, Health Rants. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Braille, and welcome to this episode of Health Rants. Uh, Today's discussion is titled, After Coronavirus, The New Normal. Now, let me start off with telling you that I am not a conspiracy-based kind of a person. Uh, I'm not the one who believes that everything you see is a conspiracy and that it's a big plan and that everybody's getting together to try to pull one over on us. Uh, That's not me. I I do believe people work in their own self-interests. And if a bunch of them working in the same self-interest happen to be contrary to what's good for the general public, you want to call that a conspiracy? Great. But I don't think it's something where it was sat down and planned in detail. So don't count me in as a conspiracy theorist. Now, that being said, people working in what they think are their best interests or in the good common good uh, many times get together to do things that aren't for the common good. Um My concept today is to look at the idea of decisions being made on fear. I mean, one of the biggest things about this uh, coronavirus uh, crisis that we're in right now is that it is stirring up a lot of fear. And the patients that I see, they're trying not to watch television because it's, oh, how bad is it? What's going on? What do we have to do? You know, there's an awful lot of fear and fear generates not only tension, which makes your immune system worse, which is not good in the middle of a pandemic, but also fear has a tendency to make people make bad decisions, to do things that they normally wouldn't do, uh, to take steps they wouldn't take. And I'm not necessarily speaking about the general public because to an extent that's true, overreaction is common, but in our elected officials, that That may be even a larger problem. And let me tell you what I mean by this. Um, You know, after 9-11 and the terrible tragedy of 9-11, a lot of things were put in that were different. I mean, the whole travel scenario was different. The amount of uh, searches and everything. uh, You know, if you traveled, and I traveled a lot during that period, Uh, Man, it was different. Everything was different. Now, since then, a lot of things have been streamlined. Certain things have been eliminated, relaxed. Um, So travel is still different than it was, but it's not as as overly burdensome as it was, you know, right after 9-11 or the year, a couple of years right after 9-11. There was a reaction, and, and I can understand it. It was based upon, let's not let this happen again. So there was kind of an overreaction of things. Uh, After the uh, 2008 financial crash, there was certainly an overreaction there. Um, And now, granted, I I agree in many cases with some of the protections that were put in for consumers to prevent things from happening again, but there was an overreach, as there is in many cases. I, I see it commonly in the healthcare industry where... For instance, um, they may find a doctor of any kind or any any practice at all, uh, there's always going to be bad apples in the group 
who has uh, committed sexual crimes or done something that's totally hideous in his practice and with patients. And, and that needs to be dealt with harshly and quickly and, and correctly. But what will then happen is the uh, state boards will put in these draconian laws and rules to make every chiropractor sit through it long, and doctors sit through long periods of uh, uh, classes to learn about this stuff that they knew about. You know, just telling them not to be sexual molesters. And, and yeah, it's correct that you know, everyone should have some training in that and some sensitivity about that. But sometimes the draconian amount of laws that are put in overreact to a situation. I see that in advertising where, you know, they, they tell doctors they shouldn't uh, advertise false information, which is absolutely correct. But then they get too detailed about really overdoing it, and they make it difficult to do normal types of uh, advertising because of these draconian overreaches. Now, the reason I'm, I'm speaking about this and, and, and have the experience of that in my profession and other professions is we need to ask ourselves a question now, as we are going to be coming out, we're still in the midst of as we're recording this uh, podcast, but as we are going to be coming out of the actual infection crisis portion of the coronavirus crisis, we need to ask ourselves, what personal freedoms are we willing to sacrifice? And the trade-off is always going to be, or at least we're going to be told the trade-off is always going to be safety versus you know, uh, um, what you have to give up. Now, now think about it for a second, and I'm not comparing the two. I, I've heard this done callously, so I don't want to do it the same way. But a certain amount of people die every year in automobile accidents. And it is absolutely correct to add safety precautions, like they added seatbelts, they added airbags, they added a lot of safety features to cars. Absolutely correct to do that. What would have been incorrect is to totally ban cars from the road because too many people die. Uh, that would have been an overreach. Now, that's not been done. Uh, certainly, the level of safety has increased in a car, and that's a good thing. But in healthcare, sometimes the reaction, the knee-jerk reaction, is an overreach that can actually have negative effects or severely limit personal freedoms. And let me talk, I'm mainly speaking about laws that get passed based upon slogans and rhetoric as opposed to fact and science. You know, um, I heard Dr. Fauci, who we see on television almost every day now, and he made a comment. I, I like the guy, and I think he's doing a fantastic job, and I think he's, you know, bringing good information forth to us. But then during one of his comments, he made the comment, we should never shake hands again. I'm like, what kind of society are we that we can't shake hands? We can't hug. You know, we've been doing this for a millennia, and we haven't wiped our populations out. And, and to take, that's a draconian step. Never shake hands again. That's just not right. That's a real overreach. We, as a people, can have personal contact. And by the way, personal contact does build immunity, you know. Uh, affection between people builds immunity. Those types of things are helpful, not harmful. I can understand in the middle of a pandemic, the concept of limiting contact, social distancing, fine. I'm speaking about what are we going to do after we're over the crisis part of it. And what I don't want to see is, is knee-jerk political reactions that are popular, that seem to meet slogans, that seem to be helping campaigns, but don't, but actually hurt us in the long run. Uh, let me start off with talking a little bit about testing when it comes to testing, because 
right now in, in the United States, anyway, the amount of testing is very small. Um, I was fortunate enough when this thing first happened, and I actually developed a cough right after that, closed down my office, and I went and got tested. It took a week to get the results, and my results came back negative. My cough was long gone anyway. It was a, whatever, a day or two with a, a small cough and a, and a minor fever. Maybe I had a minor case of it, but the test came back, said it was negative. Okay, so I didn't, according to the testing, I didn't have it. Now, we can't test everybody who lives in the United States. We can't test, well, we could try, but I seriously doubt we'll ever get to the point where we can test our entire population. So we're speaking about testing on a limited basis. Right now, they're only testing people who are symptomatic. Now, considering this particular virus has a very long period where it's incubating, a person catches it, doesn't have symptoms, like up to 10 to 14 days, where they don't have symptoms, they can spread the disease, uh, but if they're not symptomatic, they're not getting tested. So that's the big hole in the testing process. But hopefully they're looking at the idea of being able to do tests on antibodies so that you have, you have antibodies, meaning, oh, you've already had this thing. Uh, if that is the case, we'll develop those antibodies because they're still not 100% sure about that. But a test that says, okay, you've had it, and therefore now you're immune from this point forward. Okay, maybe we'll get to that, maybe we won't. But then, okay, what's the implication here? We've got testing. Let's say that we get testing to the point where we want it to be. First of all, we're going to force everyone to get a test. Whether or not they let's say the crisis is long gone, are we going to start forcing everyone to get a test? What's the implication of forcing people to get that test whether it be for antibodies or anything later. We're going to start taking people who have no signs of a problem but test positive for antibodies and decide they need to be quarantined. Or maybe they test for the presence of the virus and have no signs of having it, and they're never going to get sick from it. Are they to be quarantined? Well, it's a different question. Also then, okay, because I've heard discussions in places about, okay, wouldn't it be nice if we could test people and those that we know are clear that have antibodies or have had it before, um, you know, they can get like a clear pass, like they do at an airport when you've had a security check and you're clear, you can now run through the airport quickly. Well, wait a minute now. So that means that people are going to have clear health passes. Oh, that's it. That's an interesting concept, meaning you have trouble getting on a bus or riding a train or a plane if you don't have that clear pass. So now we're going to start, you know, separating people into different classes. Those that have uh, followed the recommendations have been tested and have antibodies and those that don't. I mean, think about the implications of that when it comes to things like just mass transit. You can't get on the train because you don't have a clear pass. You might be infected. You're not, not but you might be. You know, in my case, I tested negative, but that doesn't mean a week later I didn't come in contact with somebody and have maybe fought it off, you know, between now and when they get the tests out generally, if they ever do. So, you know, what's going to be the implication to this? Are we going to, and what about other diseases? Because coronavirus is not the last one. We forget about SARS. We forget about uh, swine flu. We forget about bird flu. We forget about all these other things that have been around. Are we going to start classifying people as far as access to things like public transit or being able to go to the store? You know, we have special times where people who are not tested uh, negative can go to the store. And that may sound a little draconian and, oh, I don't think they'll ever do that. And let's hope they don't. But let's look at some things that might get done. What about access to programs? What about access to Medicare or Medicaid? What about the people who are on those programs 
not being allowed to get full benefits because they either don't want to get tested, haven't been tested. Maybe they don't want to get the vaccine because they've been sick or it's not a good idea. But because you don't have it, you can't get the program. What about common insurance? You can't get regular insurance because you're not getting vaccinated. You know, my choice in life is not to be. And, uh, you know, the idea about that I would be unable to get benefits because of my choices, whether it be my religious or philosophical decisions, uh, would be draconian, in my opinion, would certainly be a restriction on my private, my private ability, my private uh, uh, life. You know, so we need to think a little bit about this concept. You know, there was a study done, uh, not really a study, but more of a an observation and a survey. Uh, there's a, a, many of you've heard about it in the news. There was a hospital up in New York, I believe it was on Long Island, where it was uh, obstetric patients, women who were giving birth, were obviously, even though they're limiting the type of uh, elective surgeries and things, entering hospitals and they're postponing those things because of coronavirus. You can't postpone a birth; it's happening. So the woman is, women are showing up at the hospital to have a birth and. What they decided to do was to test all of the women who were entering to give birth. What they found, and this was a predominantly healthy group, 30% of them tested positive for coronavirus. No symptoms, no disease, totally healthy, but they tested positive. Now, that implication on a grand scale, now granted, it's New York, and because of the condensed of people, their rates are probably higher, but that implication on a grand scale could also mean that a high percentage of the population has been exposed to this. And in reality, that's how viruses usually work. A very high percentage of the population does get exposed to viruses when they go around, but the person never becomes sick. It's subclinical is what that's expressed as. Uh, the person doesn't have any symptoms. They may not even be infectious to where they can spread it or very minimally. Um, and, you know, life goes on. So what if it's the same situation here? What if a high percentage of people have been in contact with this, never got sick? Uh, are they going to be separated out? Is it going to be possible to even do testing to the point where you can, uh, you know, decide who gets, you know, who has access to programs and who doesn't? You know, there's a lot of different things that are problematic. And let's look at let's look at another one here. How about jobs? I mean, a lot of people are out of work right now. And there's probably going to be a lot of shuffling and people getting different jobs as time goes on. But what about your job? What if you work in a high-density job where you're near a lot of other people and they say, well, unless you've tested this and unless you've done that and unless you have this, you can't hold the job. Now, we may say, oh, well, they're not going to do that. But wait a minute now. They've already done this with other professions. Nurses who may have a religious problem with getting vaccinations, may even have a health issue with it, have been released from their jobs because they wouldn't do it or have been forced to do it when they didn't want to. You know, have been forced to have tests and things they didn't want to have because if you want the job here, and I, granted, we're saying, oh, it's a healthcare facility. Okay, but will it extend beyond that? How about that meatpacking plant where they've closed it now at, as of present, but like a high percentage of the people tested positive and got sick with coronavirus and people have already started dying just from this one meatpacking plant because everybody's in such close proximation. Well, 
Okay, what about that? I mean, are we speaking about that now you won't be able to work in a high-density job or an assembly line or in a grocery store or in a Walmart because you don't follow certain medical procedures? And uh, we are getting, what is going to be the new normal for this? Right now, I mean, uh, they're, they're telling people, not everybody's doing it, obviously, just by being around, but telling people to wear masks. Now, currently in my office, I'm wearing a mask. I see all my patients. I'm having a mask on. We're sanitizing like crazy. I'm a healthcare facility. It's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, if I go to the store, I put the mask on for everyone else's protection and for my protection. We're in the middle of a crisis. Do I like wearing it? No. Will I wear it after the crisis? No. You know, but what if the new normal is you have to wear masks for certain, you got to get, to get on a subway, you have to put on a mask. I mean, it sounds like a minor inconvenience and a minor freedom lost, but it can get a lot worse than that. Like I said, the jobs, how about schools? How about uh, right now they have it to where they, they tell parents that your kids can't go to school if they haven't been vaccinated. That's not true in almost everywhere in the country with one or two exceptions. There are exemptions, uh, be it medical, be it philosophical in some states, be it religious in almost all states. But what about the idea that, oh, if you don't test for coronavirus, your kids can't go to school? What if you don't do this procedure or that procedure, your kids can't go to, you can't go to college, you can't pursue the career you wanted to pursue, you can't have the job you wanted to, you know, you know there's an awful lot of personal freedoms. Now, the thing is this, I mean, I'm sure there are people listening who will say, wait a minute, but some of that's good. Yeah, but each time we give up a little bit of the freedom, we're heading down that road to no freedom. When you think about it, we're giving away an awful lot. Now, there are going to be certain things we want to do during a crisis, and I understand that. doesn't necessarily make them right, but there are certain things you do during a crisis. But after the crisis, what will the new normal be? You know, I think about it. Probably none of you listening, and I, certainly I wasn't alive during uh, World War II, but we all know about and have seen stories about or watched a movie about when, when Pearl Harbor got bombed on December 7, 1941. Not long after that, when the United States was declared war, um, not long after that, the uh, Japanese internment took place. They took all these Japanese Americans who were not spies, who were not problematic, who were who actually turned out to be good citizens and never created a problem. There was no incidence of espionage amongst the group and relocated them to the center of the country in what was basically camps, pulled them out of their houses. They forfeited everything they had and stuck them in camps. Now, they did this because, well, it was Japanese. Now, you notice they didn't do it with the German Americans in New York. They didn't do it with other Nat Italians. Uh, my family's Italian. In fact, I have an uncle who fought on the other side of the war. You know, he, he fought for the Italians. My father and his brothers were fighting against the Italians. Uh, but they didn't intern us, just the people who looked completely different, the Japanese. They didn't do the, you know, all the other people who were fighting against us in the war were not interned. They didn't round up the Germans, like I said. So, you know, it, it was a knee-jerk reaction that probably could have been handled another way. In fact, the United States has since apologized to that and tried to make some restitution. Are we going to go down the path of an overreaction again after the fact here? 
After the crisis is over, you're going to hear, I guarantee you'll see it on the news, all kinds of uh, speeches and politicians talking about, we should institute. And piece by piece, the pieces they mention may make sense. But as an overall, we're going to be giving up some freedoms. Now, I have no problem with safety. I have no problem with doing things that are correct. But think about the fact that we have existed for centuries without having to give up all of our personal freedoms. Let's not head down the road to where someone else has control over our freedoms. You know, one of the things that, that bothers me, and for those who have been listening, you know that I'm not a, a fan of forced vaccinations. If you want to get them, please do. Uh, if you have a religious, a religious reason why you don't or a philosophical reason or health reason, I think you should have the option to say no. You know, and if they work, the people who are getting them should be protected. And if they, you know, the people who are not getting them shouldn't pose a risk to those people. But that's a different discussion. Let, let's, let's even look at it from a different standpoint here. You know, the number of vaccines when I was a child, and, and as a child I received several vaccines, polio being one of them, was uh, there was a small number, just a handful. Well, without a vote, without any acknowledgement, without looking at it, we have now gotten to the point where I think the number of vaccines for a child is 70 something vaccines and dosages. Um, you know, and, and I guarantee for most people, uh, probably almost everyone, they've not looked at what those are. They've not had a chance to vote on them. They've not had a chance to have say so. There haven't been open hearings. It's been a discussion and someone behind closed doors saying, I know better than you. This is what we're going to do. And I'm sure that person believes that, by the way. Now, this is not a conspiracy type of a scenario. But what I'm saying is I want to exercise my personal freedom to have the right to look at that and say, yeah, yes or no, on that basis. And where we're going to be in the next several months after this coronavirus is in a situation where we need to seriously be looking at our personal freedoms. What, under the name of health, under the name of general welfare, are we going to be giving away as knee-jerk reactions start to take place? You'll hear them first a bit, probably on different news programs, and I'm not saying one side or the other, conservative, liberal, that, nothing to do with it. Everybody does the same thing relative to that. But then politicians are going to pick up on that, and whatever's popular, especially as we're going into an election cycle, where politicians are going to say, we need to do this, and we need to do that. And each time they say that, keep in mind that in many cases, it's going to remove one of your personal freedoms. Now, I personally think that health care should be provided to everyone. But what type of health care should be the individual person's choice? How do they want to take care of this themselves? Right? Granted, if we're in an accident, I want to do certain things. I want to have that available to me. You know? But how we take care of ourselves should be our own decisions. And as we go through this coronavirus thing, and as we get, because right now we're on the supposedly downside of the curve without universal testing, I don't know if they know how many people have had it. And with the idea that up to 30% may have had it and been subclinical, we're never going to have a full number on this. So any of the changes that get made, any laws that get produced about this, how we need to handle it, are always going to be done on less than full information. And that's a bit dangerous. Now, it's not like we don't want to take no steps. We want to be prepared so when a crisis comes around, we can handle it quickly. That's important. That's like having FEMA ready and available when a hurricane hits. 
That's important. Okay, if a crisis is coming, we need to act quickly. That's important. We need to have testing. That's important. But after the fact, if we start to put in as, as a nation, as a, as a law-abiding group, draconian changes that may not have science behind them, absolute science behind them, and I'm not talking about half science, I'm talking about absolute, you know. And healthcare, there's a lot of holes in science, but that's another discussion. If we're not careful, we're going to be giving up a major portion of our freedoms and not necessarily gaining health out of it. In fact, it could well be the opposite. So my rant today was basically to suggest that be very careful, listen to the news and listen to your lawmakers and listen to people running for office about what's coming after the coronavirus. What will our new normal be? We need to be wary of it. You have been listening to Health Rants. My name is Dr. Bob Braille, and I've been your host. Subscribe to this podcast and join us for future rants on a large variety of subjects related to health and health care. Thank you for listening to Health Rants. Health Rants is sponsored by Braille Chiropractic. Find out more and listen to previous episodes on our website, www.braillechiropractic.com. That's B-R-A-I-L-E chiropractic.com. The opinions on this podcast are meant to encourage discussion on healthcare issues and are not meant as specific medical or healthcare advice. You should only seek health advice from your healthcare professionals. This has been Health Rants.